Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I am very excited to talk to Ray Comfort. He's already on our studio line, so I don't want to waste a lot of time. But he has written a brand new book called Why Would Anyone Follow Jesus? 12 Reasons to Trust What the Bible Says About Jesus. He is an apologist and very popular speaker and has written over 100 books. And he's also the uh, co-host of the award-winning TV program, Way of the Master, which airs across the globe. Ray, welcome. I forgot to mention my humility. Ah, of course, of course. You do good work, Ray Comfort. Oh, thank you so much. You know, That's I, very I, kind of you. I put on one of your videos, and you can't stop watching. You're so captivating, the way you uh, take conversations and get people uh, to keep talking. That's my accent. I'm actually from Texas. I've been putting on this accent <laughs> for 30 years. Yeah, I'm thinking about adopting the, the South African uh, accent like Elon Musk. That, that's got some pull, too, doesn't it? I think it does when you're wealthy. Everybody listens. <laughs> <laughs> That's an, ex- an excellent point. Uh, but very cool book, uh, Why Would Anyone Follow Jesus? Uh, and it's out now. Let's talk a little bit about it. What, what would you say is the number one reason people question Jesus? Well, it really isn't an intellectual argument. I mean, people say, what proof is there that Jesus existed? I say, what year is it? And they say 2000 and whatever it is. And so that's since who? It's since Christ. So we know Jesus existed historically. His claims are fantastic in the truest sense of the word. I mean, not many people say, uh, don't marvel at this, but the hour is coming when everyone in their graves, that's billions of people, they're going to hear my voice, and they're going to be raised from the dead to stand in judgment. I mean, that's the sayings of a madman or the sayings of Almighty God in human form. And so uh, what I like to do when I meet an atheist is say, uh, you believe in God's existence? They say no. I say, well, you really believe the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything? And I say something like, no, I don't believe nothing created everything. I do believe there was something in the beginning. It just wasn't God. So I say, well, let's try and figure out why you don't want it to be God. How many lies have you told? Are you looking at pornography, having sex with your girlfriend? And it turns out that he is. And his arguments are not intellectual. They're moral. He doesn't want to find God because of his love of sin. And so it's very important not to get caught up in rabbit trails, and that's the caveat that goes through with this whole book. There's a whole lot of arguments that sinners give, but it really comes down to the basic fact that men love darkness rather mm. than light and uh, because their deeds are evil. And nobody wants to be told what to do. No, not nowadays. We think we're our own little God, but... Um, you know, when you realize that there's not a hair on your head that God didn't create, I was just talking to a guy at a college today, and I said, do you believe in God's existence? He says, I don't know. I said, I'm going to give you a miracle. Would that help? And he said, yeah, give me a miracle. I said, think of your eyelash. Where's it coming from? It's got a root in your skin, and it's growing up in a certain direction, and it'll go to a certain length, and it'll stop, and it's a certain shape. It's been pre-programmed, and it has the intricacies of a an oak tree. 
I said, everything is a miracle if you look at it under a microscope and you begin to think about it. Think about your eyes. Think about the sky. Think about flowers and birds and trees and puppies and kittens and male and female. Everything that surrounds us shows the genius of God's creative hand. And he says, whoa, I've never thought of it like that. And it really is a matter of familiarity breeds contempt, as the maxim says. We take everything for granted. No one takes sight for granted like a man who's just lost his eyesight or a man who's just lost his taste buds because of COVID or someone who's just lost their hearing. Suddenly they realize what a miracle all these things are. And the the most intelligent scientists cannot create an eyebrow from nothing. No, I didn't mean eyebrow. I mean an eyelash. Mm-hmm. from nothing you know everything around us shows the, the miracle power of god so uh, i don't even remember what the question was but that was my it's a, answer it's a great answer and ray i'm glad you made the distinction between eyelash and eyebrow because you know that eyebrow that thing can grow forever <laughs> yeah it's like uh, as you get older you disappear behind a sort of a thorn bush right right i could so do it don't trim it back yeah some people could do an eyebrow comb over you know what i mean it gets so bad <laughs> cure the boldness yeah so people have no problem uh, believing in historical figures. Uh, you know, they, they, they talk about Caesar or uh, Napoleon, or Joan of Arc. So they have no problem believing in historical figures. Why not Jesus? Well, there's something special about Jesus. And the way to figure out what's special about him is listen to people talk, listen to movies, and ask yourself, what figure in human history has ever had his name used specifically as a cuss word Mm -hmm. and a a substitute for SH, because that's what people do. They hit their thumb with a hammer. They want to express utter disgust at how they feel, and they say the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus Christ, or the name of God. Why is that? Why is Jesus different from all these historical figures? Well, John chapter 7, I think verse 7, tells us Jesus himself said, the world hates me because I testify of its deeds that they're evil, and the world has an enmity towards God's law. And like I said, nobody likes being told what to do. That's within human nature. That's part of the hostility that we have towards God. We don't want this man to lord it over us, as Jesus said in the parable. So he is utterly unique. And when you look at the Pharisees and the officers of the law that sent out um, soldiers, I can't remember what they had, they were guys in charge of the temple guards, to arrest Jesus, they came back and said, Never a man spoke like this man. Never a man said the things that this man said. So when you compare the words of Shakespeare, the words of Napoleon, the words of great philosophers throughout uh, history, you'll find the words of Jesus shine like a burning sunlight at midday compared to a blown-out candle. Mm -hmm. Ray Comfort is my guest. His book is Why Would Anyone Follow Jesus? Twelve Reasons to Trust What the Bible Says About Jesus. Uh, Ray how can we learn to, to just to always trust in Jesus, even when it's it's really hard to sometimes do it? Well, it's easy to believe in God's existence. When the Bible uh, speaks of believing in Jesus, it doesn't mean an intellectual belief that God exists. We all intuitively know that God exists. Romans um, 1 verse 20 tells us the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, therefore they're without excuse. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God. When we broke away from Britain, we didn't ask permission. It was a declaration of independence. This is how it is, guys. And the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. Every time anybody looks at the sky, those massive, big, puffy white clouds or the vast blueness of the sky or the the infinitude of the, the starry sky, 
All these things scream of God's existence. They are the painting given to us by the painter. So we all know intuitively that God exists. We believe in his existence. But when the Bible speaks of believing in Jesus, it means trusting in his his integrity. So I often say to people, do you have trouble believing or having faith in God? And they say, yeah, there is a problem with me. So you think about that for a minute. And I say to them, what's your name? And they say, oh, my name's Fred. I say, what do you do for a job, Fred? He says, I'm a plumber. And I say to him, looking in the eyes, I say, I don't believe that, that your name's Fred or that you're a plumber. I says, how did that make you feel? And I said, well, it kind of made me feel rejected and made me feel a little angry. And I said, so it should, because if I have trouble having faith in your word, it means I think you're a liar, you're devious, you're not worth trusting. I'm insulting you by my unbelief or lack of faith in what you say. And I says, if you're a mere man, are insulted by my lack of faith in you, how much more do you think you insult the living God by not trusting in his word? The Bible says, he that believes not God has made him a liar. Let none of you depart from the living God through an evil heart of unbelief. You see, we trust our doctors, we trust our pilots, we trust our taxi drivers, we trust surgeons. Everything is built on trust. Just to have an experiment, just say to your wife or your husband, don't trust you, honey. Your marriage is going to be pretty shaky. Say that to your <laughs> boss, yeah. and you're going, to, you're going to be losing your job saying, uh, boss, I don't trust you. You know, so if we can trust human beings that so often let us down, how much more should we have faith in the living God? How much more should we trust him? Our whole faith has this premise, it is impossible for God to lie. Those five words, every, our eternity hangs on the truth of those words. If God can lie... Man, we're in big trouble, Mm -hmm. but it's impossible for him to lie. We can believe every word he's spoken in Scripture. We can rely on it, cling to it, trust in it. We can throw ourselves blindfolded and without reserve into his mighty hands, as a great preacher once said. So that's what it means to have faith in God, and it shouldn't be a problem because I have no problem having faith in you, Bill. I don't have any problem having faith in other people. How much more? Shouldn't I have a problem when it comes to God? Mm-hmm. Ray, I know I, I know your heart, and I know you don't want to make this interview at all about you, but uh, the reason I think you're so good at this is because you practice. <laughs> you nailed it on the head, and that's not a compliment. That's just very cool. I love hearing that. It's like if you win a marathon and someone comes up to you and says, you are so gifted, you'd probably turn to them and say, no, I'm not. I work hard to get here. Right. I, I ran 30 miles a week for years. I haven't eaten chocolate for months <laughs> or ice cream. Yeah. It's been a life of self-denial. I've fallen <laughs> down and bruised myself. And as a Christian, I put my foot in my mouth. I've denied myself. I've made a fool of myself. But it's been practice, 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 hard work and sweat and getting muscle. So you know how to answer an atheist. So you know how to answer someone that brings up an objection about suffering or something like that. But it really is like riding a bike. Have you ever tried to teach a kid to ride a bike? It's really hard because what you want to impress on them is, kid, momentum is the key. Mm -hmm. If I can just get you moving, just have confidence enough to pedal. When you move, you'll have balance. Momentum will produce balance. So just go. Do it. Do it. And you have to teach a kid to. And you let go, and away they go. And they say, I'm doing it because they're moving. That's exactly what it's like with apologetics and evangelism. Just do it. Dive into the swimming pool. You're going to float. 
might be a bit cold on your flesh for a minute, but you're going to float, and you'll find that God has put something in you to carry you along and help you, and it's the Holy Spirit that gives you wisdom. Yeah, Ray, and I'm pretty certain that in the midst of doing all this practice and this work of apologetics and, and sharing Christ with others, in the midst of that, you you find you have some objections, and then out of that comes some really wonderful illustrations. Even the ones you've given us today have been so powerful and so memorable. Yeah, the, the subject of suffering can scare us off. You know, how can God be a God of love if there's suffering? Well, the analogy I use is this. If you buy a brand-new Toyota and you love the way it looks and how the manufacturers have done such a great job on the inside and it's beautifully designed. You show it to your friends and say, look what the Toyota did. They've done a great job. They're such good manufacturers. They're driving along. Suddenly the accelerator gets stuck, which has happened with Toyota years ago. You go through an intersection and you kill people and maim people, and you look at all the suffering of the blood and people groaning, and you say, oh, look at all the suffering. Therefore, nobody made this car. That's an insane, illogical leap. You should say, therefore, something went radically wrong. And when we look at creation, we know there was a creator. We can see the genius of his hand. So when we look at suffering, we don't jump from suffering to atheism and say, nobody created everything. That's insane. It's, it's illogical. The right thing to say, as we did with the car, is something is radically wrong. And Genesis tells us exactly what's wrong. We live in a fallen creation. We have disease, pain, and suffering, and death, all because man rejected God, the Adamic fall. God cursed creation. That's why we've got earthquakes and diseases and famines and hurricanes and tornadoes. All these things stand as evidence of the truth of the Scriptures that we live in a fallen creation. So suffering becomes evidence that the Word of God is true and the testimony of God is true and the Gospel is true if we look at it in the light of Scripture. Mm -hmm. Ray Comfort is my guest. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, Ray, you need to still be here because we've got a little bit more time with you. His brand new book is Why Would Anyone Follow Jesus? 12 Reasons to Trust What the Bible Says About Jesus. Pastor Ray Comfort is my guest. We'll be right back. minutes into the show today, and if you've missed any of this, you have to go to the beginning. Go to MyFaithRadio.com. Check it out. Ray Comfort is my guest. He's got a brand new book called Why Would Anyone Follow Jesus? 12 Reasons to Trust What the Bible Says About Jesus. And of all the gods, gurus, and good people out there, why Jesus? And so, Ray, let me let me ask you this. Um, there, Because I watch your, your, your videos, and I, one of the things that always comes up is people are thinking, well, how can God be real when there's so much suffering, so much evil, in the world, uh, how do we know that this is not the truth? Well, the way to test something is experientially. If I say to you, there's such a thing as electricity, um, but you say, oh, well, I can't see it anywhere. I say, well, here's a, here's a fork. Stick it up this uh, socket, this live socket. You're going to receive power. And the promise of the Bible is that you will see power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The gospel came and power, the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance And the wonderful thing about Christianity is that God promises every single person a personal miracle. Uh, When the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, uh, you know, give us a sign, Jesus said, no sign will be given but the sign of Jonah, who was in the big fish and spat up on the shore, which is a type of the gospel of Jesus 
being swallowed by death and being resurrected. So the gospel is the miracle and the sign that God gives to humanity. And the incredible thing about the gospel is that it transforms the human heart. You see, before I was a Christian, I had no desire for righteousness. I had no thoughts of God. But the moment I repented of my sins and put my faith in Jesus, I was born again with a new heart and new desires. The first time I was born, 72 years ago, it was kind of radical. I didn't exist, and I did. Over a period of nine months, I, life was given to me. And being born again is just as radical. Everything looks different if you're truly born again. The, the flowers blossom to his glory. The trees raise their hands in praise. The songs uh, the birds sing his praises in the mornings. Every time I wake up, I hear these birds all singing. I mean, what are they singing about? Well, they're created by God, and it seems they've got more insight than we have to sing about a new dawn day, a lovely day that we have that God's given us. And so the miracle of the new birth is personal. God makes you a brand-new creature in Christ so that you're astounded. I, I look back at my 22 years as a non-Christian, and I am serious, even though I used to pray at night for 10 of those years, I used to rattle through the Lord's Prayer out of habit. I had no serious thoughts about God for 30 seconds, and that's, that's not an exaggeration. Since I became a Christian for the last 50 years, there hasn't been a moment where I haven't been conscious of God's existence. God opens the eyes of your understanding, gives you a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, makes you a new creature in Christ, and he takes his law and writes it upon your heart and causes you to walk in his statutes. In other words, God will cause you to want to do the things he wants you to do without even telling, without even, him even telling you to, and that's the power of the new birth. Mm-hmm. Ray, we're seeing younger uh, people, younger generations, kind of turning away from Christianity, turning away from organized religion. How come? Well, I think they've been let down by the church. In the last 40, 50, 60 years, the gospel has been changed to another gospel, and it's been the gospel of God has a wonderful plan for your life. There's something missing in your life. Jesus will heal your marriage, take away your loneliness, you'll solve all your problems. That is not true. Ask the early church. Many were martyred for their faith. The disciples were killed for their faith. The foundation of the church is soaked in blood. If you, if you look at Fox's Book of Martyrs, the promise for the Christian is tribulation, temptation, and persecution. We enter the kingdom of God through much tribulation, but everlasting life comes with it. So the promise of Christianity, Christianity, as someone has wisely said, is not a smooth flight, but a safe landing. And I'd rather mm-hmm. be on a plane that has a safe landing and put out a smooth flight than the other way around. And so... We have a generation that hasn't heard the biblical gospel. And when I uh, approach a non-Christian, I have two great confidences, and they're very, very powerful. One is that God has placed eternity in the heart of this person, even though he's an atheist or whatever. He has something in him that longs to be free from death. Uh, He's not a dog or a cat or a horse. He's not a primate, as he's been told in school. He's a human being made in the image of God, with a will to live. In fact, the Bible says he is haunted by the fear of death all his lifetime, according to Hebrews 2, verse 14 and 15. So that's on my side. He has a will to live. And the second thing I have on my side is he has a conscience. He has a knowledge of right and wrong. God has written his law upon his heart. So I know when I bring up the commandments, they're going to, this conscience is going to confirm the truth of each of those commandments. He'll know in his heart that these are true. And so 
I just go up to a complete stranger and say, hey, would you like to be interviewed for YouTube? There's over 200 million views on our channel, over a million subscribers. I ask people if there's an afterlife. Do you think there's an afterlife? And they say, oh, I don't know. And I say, well, do you know what the message of the Bible is? And they say, not really. It's the Old Testament God promised to destroy death, and the New Testament tells us how he did it. Now, that makes any human being stick his ears up. He's never heard that before, that God destroyed death. How could that be? So that's of interest to him. You watch a waitress in a, in a restaurant. She looks across, and three businessmen have come in. They're wearing three-piece suits. They've got little dark cases, and they're obviously sitting there wheeling and dealing millions of dollars. Is she intimidated? Does she say, I can't approach these people. They're businessmen. No, she walks right up and says, can I take your order? Why is she so bold? It's because she has, she knows she has what they want. They are there to eat food. And with that knowledge, she knows she's going to butt in and get their smile. And we have what this world wants. We have the message of everlasting life, the glorious gospel. And so we've got to be bold. We've got to be like Jesus with a woman at the well. We said, if you knew who was speaking to you and what I have, you'd listen because I have living water. And so uh, we've got to be bold. We have what the world wants, and they will listen. This generation will listen if we bring the issues the Bible tells us to bring into it. And we use the, the law to bring the knowledge of sin and show them they're in great danger, but God offers them everlasting life through the gospel. Mm-hmm. Ray, let's say you had a place in the south of France, and you said, hey, Bill, here, here are the keys to my place. Go enjoy it for two years. Then you said, oh, but another thing, too, you better learn how to speak French because you're going to be way happier if you learn how to speak French. And I say... Ray, learning French is hard. How am I going to do that? You know, a new believer comes to faith and you go, well, we've got to get involved in God's Word. Well, that's hard to understand. How do you do that? Well, the best thing you do is uh, say, go to the store and buy some food for yourself and speak French. You're going to learn French or you're going to starve. <laughs> right. You're going to have a reason to, and the best way to learn French is to just do it. Go among some French people and say, bread. I want some bread. They'll say, ah, oh, and they'll tell you what bread is, and you'll remember it because you like bread and you want to eat tomorrow. Exactly. And so you've got a will to learn the language. And if we care about the lost, we will go and we'll speak to them and we'll learn to speak their language. We'll know what works and what doesn't work mm-hmm. if we study it. The Bible says study to show yourself approved, a workman that needs not be ashamed. And if you as a Christian don't know what to say, it's probably because you've never studied it because you didn't want to. First time you rode a bike, you rode a bike because you wanted to. When you drove a car, you learned how to drive a car because you wanted to. And so if you don't want to uh, reach out to the lost, say, God, take my heart of stone. Give me a heart of flesh. Help me to love my neighbor as myself. Help me to be concerned that people are going to hell. Help me to be motivated by my conscience and by your Holy Spirit to do that which I know is right and reach out to this dying world. Mm-hmm. My last question, Ray, because we're out of time, is do you have a place in the south of France I can go stay at? <laughs> yeah, you can just go anywhere you want. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for being on the show. You're an absolute delight. Thank oh, you. thank you very much. Great to have me. Bye-bye. Bye. Ray Comfort's been my guest. His book is Why Would Anyone Follow Jesus? Twelve Reasons to Trust What the Bible Says About Jesus. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I've got a very special treat for you. I'm going to be joined uh, by Carmen LaBerge and Susie Larson. That's all coming up next.
It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Well, for those of you who were thinking that I was going to start my series with Peter Kapsner called Toga Time, uh, that is going to be postponed <laughs> temporarily uh, due to some scheduling conflicts. But yeah, the, the uh, series that I'm doing with Peter is called Toga Time, and it, it's going to be talking about the book of Corinthians as if you are living in Corinth in the first century. What awesome. did Paul's words sound like to the people living in Corinth in the first century? So you're going to have to you're going to have to be a resident of Corinth in the first century, which means toga time. You don't have to wear a toga during the show, but you certainly can if you want to. All right. This uh, half hour, I'm so glad to have uh, Carmen LeBurge and Susie Larson join me. And we've been noodling in our heads for a while, the idea of having a Ask Us Anything segment. And here we are. Welcome. Good Thank to be you. with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I know we talked about it, and I thought this would be a great opportunity to uh, kind of set the table and say... This is uh, what I think we're hoping to uh, to accomplish, and I, I love Carmen. I think you want to talk a little bit about unity in Christ just to get us started. Sure. So, Bill, first of all, thank you for this opportunity. Excited to be having this conversation with you and Susie over time and hear listener questions, and then, you know, the three of us have an opportunity to reflect on those. Um, when we talk about unity in the body of Christ, it's not negotiable. Um, because Christ is not divided. And I think that has to be the starting place um, for the conversation. So this is, there may be things that are essential. Uh, There are things, certainly, that are essential in terms of what would constitute creedal Christianity, things you must believe in order to be a Christian. Um, But then there are lots of things where there is liberty, um, those things that are non-essential. And sorting and sifting out what is essential from what is non-essential has led to most of the divisions, uh, visible divisions that we would see in terms of denominationalism. But denominationalism is not ultimately uh, the division of the body. We are one in the spirit. We are one in the Lord. There is one family of believers. There's going to be one bride of Christ. She's going to be raised um, pure And, you know, there is some conversation uh, and debate about who is going to be found in the body of Christ upon the general resurrection, but that's actually not for us to sort out. So there is a unity that God expects of the body in the world today, and that's, um, I think, part of the conversation. We're going to agree on the essentials, and then we're going to offer differing perspectives on those things that are uh, non-essential. I love, Carmen, that you said it's uh, not negotiable, this unity in the body. Because I think that's a dividing point for a lot of people today. Yes, I mean, you know, Ephesians chapter 4 comes to mind. Um, John chapter 17 comes to mind. Um, Psalm 133. Yeah, excellent. Thank you, Susie. Psalm 133. Um, Remind us, I mean, you know, when your mind goes there, when your heart goes there, what, what are you lifting up? Well, Psalm 133 says, How wonderful and pleasant when brothers live together in harmony, for harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard under the board of his robe. Harmony is refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord commands a blessing of life everlasting. So he commands a blessing 
when he sees brothers and sisters walking in unity. And this is really a charge for us, and we've been so divided. And I think because there's been so many departures from biblical Christianity, and then there are people who are self-appointed to, you know, to give these lists and blacklist people as if somehow they're the deciding factor. And I've received emails from people who listen to some of these people who blacklisted people, and they're like, really? Is, is Billy Graham off the list? And I'm like, you got to be kidding. If you're listening to someone who's telling you that Billy Graham is on a list of, of people who are up for question, I think you need to turn the dial. Because that's what's so heartbreaking to me is there are really legitimate concerning departures from core Christianity. But then there are all these secondary issues we get to disagree on, and we need to do so lovingly. And that is where when we come together to go, we don't have to agree on that. We're going to walk in love. We're going to laugh together. And the Lord commands a blessing when we have the maturity to move past those outer fringes into the core center where we can stand in in absolute celebration of what Jesus won for us. So I pray that we will always uh, listen to each other well. I think there's Mm -hmm. the tendency of carrying on parallel monologues. I'm not really listening Mm -hmm. to you. I'm just waiting for you to stop talking so I can start talking. And that usually doesn't accomplish anything. Yeah, well, assuming that's not what you're doing right now. No, I'm not doing um, that right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's why neither of us wanted to talk. Way to, like, way to call me out on that, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, having heard uh, having heard what Susie said, I think um, that the temptation is always to listen defensively instead of listening um, mm-hmm. with the expectation that I am going to um, find in this person um you know, a person of peace and fellowship, uh, that I'm going to receive this person as a brother or sister in Christ, that I'm going to have the expectation that, you know, as this person describes themselves as a Christian, and that's the starting point of this conversation. Like we're assuming, uh, we're assuming that those who want to enter into a a conversation um, on the things about which Christians may disagree and yet still be found within the body, that we have agreement on some common ground, that we are one body, um, holy, Catholic, with a small c, universal, and apostolic, that we are um, unified in the essentials of the faith. And so, Bill, I think that maybe a conversation about what the essentials are is a helpful starting place before we get to an Ask Me Anything conversation about the non-essentials. I love that, Carmen. Uh, So thank you for suggesting that we start with essentials. And I will, uh, I will ask one of you to say, where would you like to start? Because I get to ask the questions. I get to direct the conversation because right now it's my yeah. show. <laughs> so the, is... there are a couple of places to, that you could start the conversation um, on this. And, you know, the, the most basic and simple one is the question of whether or not God is. And so then if we can agree that God is, then we have agreed that the universe is personal. That's a huge departure from what many people in the world believe. Um, it distinguishes uh, a theistic religions from others. But just believing that God is is not enough um, because there are false gods and there are idols. There are idolatrous religions. And so it's the distinctive belief in the God who has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in uh, the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. And so that gets to the Bible and it gets to the Trinity. Great answer. Susie, what do you think? I would add, I would 
say a hearty amen to that and also that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and love came down to rescue us. The Bible is the inerrant word of God. Jesus not only lived, he died, and he not only died, he rose again, and the re- resurrection changes everything. So the things that are up for grabs, uh, many are, but some of these cores that, are, that people are really playing with out in the, on the fringes are the inerrancy of Scripture, the idea that Jesus rose from the grave, the idea that, that there's a hell, or that we even need an atoning sacrifice if everybody's going to heaven. Those things are very concerning. And then you hear others saying, you know, Noah's Ark really didn't happen, but it's a word picture that we can learn. And one of my sons at his Christian college, one of the profs told him many years ago, my boys are in their 30s now, uh, but he came home and said, did you believe my prof said that Jesus didn't actually walk on the water? It was a sandbar. And I'm like, where is that takes more faith to believe than not. Oh, my word. I mean, it's not even in there. But that, that, you know, taking liberties with some of those things are concerning. But the cores, you know, when you talk about the Trinity, the Godhead, that we need a savior, that there is a heaven and a hell. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. The word of God is inerrant. And the resurrection did happen. They're crossing the lake in the middle of a raging storm. I'm trying to figure out where the sandbar popped up. Come on. Exactly. (laughs) Help us, Lord. Yeah, exactly. So you get that kind well, of nonsense. Wh- Go ahead, Carmen. And why uh, why do we struggle so hard to come up with a different story? Um, right. So, wh- you know, what is it about the truth um, in some other part of the scriptures? What What is it about the truth about who Jesus is that that professor is resisting? Um, I mean, it's, it's not that hard to believe um, that the God of the universe could uh, walk on the water. It's really hard to believe that an average man could do that. And so um, you have to believe in the incarnation and that Jesus really is who he claims to be, the co-eternal member of the Trinity. Like, you have to believe that Jesus is God uh, to believe that he walked on water Um, because human beings can't do that. We can't suspend the law of gravity, but God can because he's the one who created it. He made it. He is sovereign over the wind and the waves and the sea and the fishes in it, in addition to, uh, you know, the people in the boat. So it's the it's the disregard for the deity of Christ that's at stake when a person says Jesus didn't walk on the water, he walked on a sandbar. And don't you think, too, though, we've we've made God in our image so much because every time God moved, it seemed, you know, every time God moved in both Old Testament and New Testament, people had a choice to make. And you follow Jesus around in the Gospels. You know, there were those who drew near and who, who are hanging on every word. Others were building a case and others were offended and said, you know, we want you to leave. And I think it's it's no different today in that I want Jesus on my terms. I want to pick and choose what I believe. And we, we just don't get to do that. And I, I'll just go out on a limb here and say, I believe that what God is going to be bringing and is bringing as he moves because he's answering the prayers of his people, he's going to raise people up and use people that offend our sensibilities. But he gets to be God, and he gets to move how he wants. And just as in in the Scripture, people missed him. I mean, you think of these Pharisees who were students of the Torah. They studied the prophecies of the coming Messiah, and then they crucified him. They, they completely missed him. But there were those who were waiting and discerned him even as a baby before he'd even done anything. They discerned, this is the one, this is the one. And you can get so petrified in your mindset of this, God only moves this one way, and I only believe this one thing, that uh, he may offend 
your sensibilities when he moves in your midst. And so I just think it's really important to stay to the course of Christianity, but get him out of the box. Mm, so good, Susie. I think of Jesus, when he was on earth, the authorities wanted to kill him. Uh, his disciples were confused by him, and his family thought he was nuts. And he was homeless. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, this is the Savior that's come to save us from our sin. But when I think of the way in which people question the um, God's Word and they they want to say, well, no, it doesn't work in today's world because of marriage, family, sexuality. It's all outdated and it doesn't work. Jesus was only homeless because we think of uh, homes as something very specific and literally concrete. Um, I was uh, was talking with uh, a homeless, uh, a person who is, you know, considered homeless in our, in the way we think of things today. And, um, on Sunday, because I had read this article written by a mom who said, you know, that homeless person is someone's son and it may be mine. And I had just, I was, so I was just so compelled on Sunday to seek out this one particular individual who I see frequently. And, um, and so I just said, you know, Hey, I, you know, it's mother's day and I'm just wondering, you know, if there's any chance you want to call your mom. If so, you want to borrow my phone. And he's like, I have Aww. a phone. Anyway, well, I have a phone and he was, you know, not choosing to make that connection. But I just said, you know, I'm just really aware today that she would probably love to know where you are. Um, And and um, and I said, you know, can you just, you know, I don't know, share with me the circumstances of your homelessness. And he looked at me and he goes, "Um, I'm homeless in the same way that Jesus was homeless. My home, you're a captive to like a bank account and that car and your house and your mortgage. And I'm not captive to anything. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, like a whole different perspective there on, um, I mean, you know, the choice that a particular individual is making in the world. But um, I think that there there is this contrarian view that we resist when we encounter Jesus. He's so different um, and rightly so. Um, But where he doesn't line up, Bill, to get back to your point, where he doesn't line up with our expectations or our preferred kind of savior, you know, that's where we just, you know, write him off. And we want to, as Susie said, you know, create him in our image and have the kind of Jesus that we want. Mm, So good. I could hang with you two for a while. And I think I will. (laughs) But you know, we're at break time. So we'll take a break. We'll come back lots more with Carmen LaBerge and Susie Larson. We're in a segment that we're just starting today called Ask Us Anything. We'll be right back. Anything. If you have a question about anything, you can text it over 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. My guest is Carmen LaBerge and Susie Larson, and we're going to talk about the essentials and the non-essentials. Um, but also I want to uh, talk about how we walk out our faith, because we can get a lot of uh, knowledge from reading God's Word. We can pray, but then we have to go out and live in the world and walk out our faith and then deal with disappointments that we suffer and uh, difficulties in life. And Susie, I know that you've gone uh, through some really challenging physical stuff. And I'm so inspired by how you're walking out your faith in the middle of all this. Hmm. Wow. Thanks, Bill. Um, 
Jesus is so kind and so good and so patient. And, you know, that there have been times in the last 32 years I literally have pounded on his chest going, how long, God? What are you waiting for? And then only to, it breaks my heart. So then I have to say, I'm really sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I humble myself. But to come to this point and realize how God has preserved me through it all, one of the promises he gave is you're going to go through the fire, not be burned. You're going to go, you know, the waves will not overtake you. Just one tangible example of how God has preserved me while I was pounding on his chest is uh, my cholesterol's low. And uh, Dr. Troy, when he saw that, got initially nervous because he said often with Lyme patients with low cholesterol, um, what happens is the Lyme pokes holes in your vessels, and so it pulls fat from your food to plug up the holes and thickens your vessels, and you, that's a different way to get heart disease. And so when they see low cholesterol, that's very nerve-wracking for them until they find out, well, that wasn't the case. I just have low cholesterol. My vessels are healthy. And I mean, or my face, you know, the fact that I have daily mm. neurological numbing every day, have for 32 mm. years, but I have no impairment. Mm. How is that possible? I mean, so all I say is that, you know, the pursuit and the fight has not been lost. I mean, they're worth it. And I know him more and I know the enemy's ways more. And I care so deeply about the body of Christ and this idea of unity matters so much to me. You know, we cross denominational lines, Kevin and I do, when I speak at events purposely. You know, you could easily choose a lane and stay with it. And I remember a listener even texted that in because there were differing opinions on our shows about some topic. They're like, just pick a talking point and go with it. And I'm like, I so disagree. I love you, but I disagree. Because for us to travel across denominational lines, um, we just feel committed to that because heaven's going to look like that. But there was one time a very large... uh, Protestant denomination, which, you know, those are basically all the denominations we go to, but it was a mainstream denomination. They'd gone through a number of my studies. God had moved just amazingly. And so they'd gone through the process, had me booked, and were so excited until one of them had heard that I go to other denominations that they didn't like under the Christian umbrella. You know, I'll just say one was evangelical, one was charismatic. They didn't like that I'd spoken at charismatic churches, and they canceled. They they. they shut it down. They said, nope, she can't come and talk to us. And that just grieves my heart because I'm thinking, what what are you really afraid of? Because if you can say, you know what, these are cores of our, where we land, the, are my dear brothers over here. This is why they pursue and, and maybe travel the road this way. But there's different tribes for all of us. But there's one God. And as, as Carmen was talking about the core essentials, if we can agree on that, if you're not so threatened by other people, then you could say, help me understand, help me learn um, why you land where you do. And that if we could walk in maturity and not vilify people who maybe think outside the box in a different way. And I'm talking, you know, Arminian versus Calvinism or charismatic versus evangelicalism. These are Bible-believing people, and yet we vilify what we don't fully understand. Yeah, Bill, can I just, uh, you know, can I just say that, like, right now that's going on culturally in the conversations of the day, um, Matt Chandler, who heads up the Acts 22 uh, Church Planting Network, he's, you know, as a pastor at a church in Texas, and um, he's going to speak at a virtual conference, but there are other people speaking uh, on that virtual, in that virtual uh, conference, you know, who are, mm, yeah, not, uh, not, um, well not regarded. maybe people with whom that we would agree on a lot of things, okay? Some of those things essentials. Um, and there's a lot of criticism. Like, so should he not be speaking there? Should he not be the person with good theology speaking at a conference where there are, you know, going to be people who are also speaking um, with whom he theologically disagrees? 
Um, I have a hard time imagining that everyone who comes on, you know, Mornings with Carmen um, agrees theologically with me on every point. I know I don't agree agree theologically on every point with all of them, um, but it's a conversation that we're having in a culture that is wildly rejecting Jesus. And so um, I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to split hairs where hairs don't need to be split. I am absolutely going to concern myself, as Susie has uh, very, uh, you know, beautifully said. You know, I, it's got to be people who receive the Bible as the very word of God, um, people who are seeking the truth regardless of what it reveals about us and and therefore what we need to be willing to submit to the Holy Spirit um, in terms of having things about us changed, right? Revealing sin and then bringing our lives into conformity um, with what God says is right and righteous. Like I, but but in terms of you know, am I going to have a conversation with somebody who you know believes differently than I do about whether or not Jesus is going to evacuate Christians before uh, the tribulation? prior to his second coming. You know, I'm good if you believe there is a second coming. Like, I, if you believe that Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead, then you and I are probably on the same page, somehow, some way, on the essential nature of the return of Christ, the second advent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, if we can get to that commonplace of agreement, um, I'm probably good with you. I don't, pro- I don't need to uh, convince you one way or the other of whether or not there's going to be a you know premillennial uh, or a pre-tribulation evacuation of the church, or whether or not the church is left to witness in the midst of it. Like I, uh, whatever God chooses to do in that, you know, I'm I'm yet to find out. So yeah. I think that when we get into the conversation about essentials and non-essentials, that's the kind of conversation we're trying to have. Well, I love that we're having some discussions about that because uh, the point you both have made is are brilliant, and it is so important to find the common ground. And yeah, we are going to have differences, but let's talk about what we agree on to get started. I got to tell you, Scott McKnight is a well-known theologian, a theologian, very, very respected. And I had him, I've had him on a few times, but a number of years ago, he wrote a book. He said he, he really did kind of parrot talking points that were of the mindset of cessation, you know, that the gifts are not for today and had a judgment against charismatics. And then he met a couple at a conference who were charismatics and he had this stigma stereotype but he met them, and he said they were grounded, they were godly, they were winsome, they were joyful, they were honorable, respectful, and the Holy Spirit confronted him on his talking points. And as a, man, a well-respected theologian, he went back to Scripture and realized some of his talking points actually didn't line up with Scripture, and that there was room in the body of Christ for charismatics. And and that he, I was so proud of him, and I, I just said, I honor you so much because we love, we have friends who are in all of these different camps: Calvinists, Arminian, you know, charismatic evangelicals, you know, we've got friends in these different lanes, and they're godly, amazing Christians. And we don't agree on everything, but it just doesn't matter because those are the secondary. And I know that that brings pleasure to God's heart, that we have found a way to winsomely, joyfully walk together and respect each other and then learn from each other. Uh, Lee just wrote in, he says, if one is critical of another Christian faith, uh, they must have questions about their own. Like if they're that threatened, maybe they've got some questions. I think that's a brilliant insight. Mm-hmm. Carmen, your thoughts on that? I think uh, if you spend any time um, exposed to in relationship with the global church, uh, the church around the world, you recognize that many of the um, many of the conversations that we have, particularly inter you know uh, 
in, in, in sort of the intramural conversations that we have in evangelical Christianity in the United States of America, um, we are mostly debating non-essentials. Mm-hmm. And and yep. churches that are in environments where um, it costs a lot, like it literally costs a lot to be a Christian. You got to put it on your identity card. And if uh, uh, that's that is going to mean something when you go try to um, uh, to buy and sell, to get a job, to whatever. I mean, right. The social capital related to being a Christian in some places in the world is, is really significant. And so I guess um, like in the conversation related to Ukraine, there are a lot of evangelical Christians in Ukraine, but really only since uh, the fall of the Soviet Union. Prior to that, Christians in Ukraine were all of one variety, in, and they're Eastern Orthodox. They are Orthodox believers. And in among Orthodox believers, like right now we're talking about the first schism in Christianity. We're going back a really long time when we're talking about um, people who you know, are a part of the Orthodox Church. And and even within orthodoxy, there has been uh, there there are lots of divisions, and we've all learned a lot about that. Like right, we now know there's a difference in being a part of the Russian Orthodox Church or being a part of the patriarchy that's now based in Kiev. Like we've learned a ton in just the last few weeks about Orthodox brothers and sisters in Christ halfway around the world. We've even learned they celebrate Easter, uh, you know, a week later than we do. Like that's weird to us. They have a different calendar. What's up with that? Um, and so um, do I think God cares about them and that they are saved in Christ and that they are um, heaven bound and I'm going to spend eternity with them? Yeah, I do. And there are probably some people listening right now who thinks who think that that is wrong, that that's wrong, that only people who um, believe not only what I do, but the way I do, you know, are going to be saved. Mm. Um so anyway, there yeah. you go. You two Sorry, are the best. I went too long. No, no, it's good. Thank you for doing this. This has been great. Have a great Love rest you, of the night. Love you, too. All Love right. You, we'll take Thanks a short now. break, and then Daryl B. Harrison is going to be on uh, the Old Testament. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.